0: to the Keenon yoga podcast bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life we consider this an offering a service to the community and a labor of love if you feel inclined any donations are appreciated just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast i hope you enjoy the show Today's guest on the Kingdom Yoga Podcast is Mark Roberts. Mark started practicing in 1997 with Arlene Hall and Peter Sanson in Sydney. He traveled in 1999 to Mysore and has returned there for many visits. He was certified to teach the method in 2010. In 2015, he began other movement practices, studying with the greats such as Edo Portal and Yuan Ayalon, and has now notched up 150k followers on Instagram for his formidable arm balancing skills teaches workshops worldwide, currently residing in India, where he's the proud father of a baby girl, along with his wife, Deepika Mehta. Welcome, Mark, to the Keen on Yoga podcast. Um, Can you just tell us how you started
1: yoga practice, a little bit about yourself? Well, you want the long story or the short story? The the short one today. The short one today, okay, yeah. I guess people have heard the long story before. Yeah, we've heard the long Uh, one.
0: Yeah. How did you start yoga and then how did you get
1: into Ashtanga? Just a little bit of a background. Okay, so I went to my first yoga class with my mom. That was in 97 at a yeah. little yoga studio in Sydney which, with my first teacher, George Trung. Um, And I think it was just me and my mom were the only people in the class. Uh, had no idea what kind of style it was, but I later figured out it was you could say, maybe a mix of Iyengar and Ashtanga. And I believe he may have been practicing a little bit with Simon from Yoga Synergy, Simon Gorgolivyev. So it was a kind of a mix, you know, a little bit of Vinyasa, a little bit of Iyengar style, as it was in those days, right? That was pretty much, That were the options. Yeah, and then, you know, I remember just getting hooked from that first class, particularly, you know, that feeling after Shavasana and then going down onto the street, and then walking out, and just feeling like I was floating. I mean, I've heard so many other people say that same thing, you know, that, that feeling of Shavasana early on, you know, when you, you start practicing when, yoga, it's really.
0: When you're still allowed to call it Shavasana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not take rest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when, when I was taking just... rest.
0: <laughs> yeah, what are you were taking rest? You, uh, you, you yeah. had an out of body experience. Yeah. All right. So then, well, your mum carried on with the ashtanga, or you, you left her at uh, the class. And how did funnily you get into enough, ashtanga?
1: my my mum actually got into ashtanga through me later when I started right. teaching ashtanga. She used to come to my classes, uh, so I got into ashtanga properly. Um, well, not properly. It was kind of I was living in Cairns and I was practicing with uh, these Iyengar teachers there, Nikki Knopf and James Bryant. They were very senior Iyengar teachers back in those days. Um, and they were the ones, they also were teaching Iyengar, but they had a Mysore-style self-practice thing going as well. And um, they were the ones who got me into, into Ashtanga and, you know, told me about Tabi Joyce, and, and told me, you know, to go to India. I think I've, I've told this story before, but for those who haven't heard it, you know, I, I was like, I asked them, you know, I said to them, I want to go to India and learn from a master, Mm. where should I go where can I go and they said well the two options main options are you could go to BKS Anger but there's a three-year waiting list or you could go to Padavi Joyce um, and they said uh, if you don't mind a little bit of pain I think you'll enjoy it <laughs> okay so I, I laughed at it at the time and said yeah sure I don't mind some pain so I am um, That's I booked my trip basically. Oh, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. Was it was that that was in '98? In '99 was when I finally went to Mysore. They also told me about Eileen Hall in Sydney.
0: And you had Eileen
1: training before you went to Mysore. Yeah, exactly. So I went to I was with Eileen at Yoga Moves, and you know, in those days, Yoga Moves was kind of like the hub of Ashtanga in Australia. I'd say. Matthew used to teach there, Peter Sanson, um, you know, a lot of great teachers, you know.
0: And then when you're in Mysore, like what, obviously you learn the practice like most of us did. Not everyone, right? Like some people learn it literally. They think, well, I fancy doing Ashtanga, and they kind of go straight to Mysore, which I always kind of feel is pretty brave and kind of crazy at the same time. But most people learn it outside the country and then come to, Mm. you know, the source, as it were. And what? Yeah. What was the discrepancy? What differences did you find when you learned when the Mysore, Mysore practice and what you'd learned with Eileen back in Australia,
1: Sydney? Um, so I actually, if if my memory is correct, I yeah. got the, the final post Setu Bandhasana. I think Eddie actually taught me that because I went to uh, India via New York. I wanted to visit some friends along the way. So I stopped in at New York and I went to Eddie's studio and I mean, he probably wouldn't remember, it was a long time ago now, but um, that I, I believe he showed me Setu Bandhasana and then I went to Mysore. So I had completed, but I hadn't done dropbacks. So I learned dropbacks in Mysore and that was a scary experience. <laughs> I remember one day, like, you know, Sridhar Guruji used to sit in those chairs at the back. This is in, yeah. in the Lakshmi Shala, right? And then, and just like, standing there waiting for them to come and help me do the dropbacks, and neither of them came and then Trot just looked at me and said you you do and I remember just landing on my head a few times <laughs> but I learned it you know by trial and error yeah so I, it was a little bit like that that was probably that's probably a, one of the big differences between learning in the west and learning in India a little bit more spoon-fed in the west as it were yeah i guess so. more, teaching,
0: more teaching in a way i kind of always thought mm. you're going to go to india people say well you know you must get so much teaching when you go to my and you're yeah. like well kind of you know in a way but not the teaching yeah. you imagine right like it's not like yeah, yeah, all yeah. kind of oh it's you know like a
1: workshop you know but maybe know by the, by the time i got there it was already i think the teaching methodology had shifted right because if you listen to the old stories of David Williams and all those guys like they would just get adjusted like pretty much in every posture and I've seen videos of of that where yeah. Vitaly Joyce is just adjusting everybody almost carrying in through the, the practice um, by the time I got there it was that it had gone to this you know like if you can't do the pose you have to stop there that had shifted that teaching methodology and Far less adjustments. I right. mean, there was still still a lot of adjustments compared to what happened in um, uh, in Gokulam. Yeah, but less than what was going on in the earlier days.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I suppose they just kind of when we talk talk about adjustments, it was generally kind of putting you in the posture, right? Not mm. like telling you or showing you how to do it. Yeah. Whereas not, I, not maybe. Often.
1: I I have had that. I remember once in, um, where was it? Oh, yeah, Purple Valley, when, you know, Patabi Joyce had just died. Sherat was doing a workshop at Purple Valley. This was in 2009. And. Uh, yeah, I was so there. You were there, were you? So,
0: I mean, yeah. So it, wasn't, it couldn't have been 2000. It must have been 2007 or 8, right? Like that was,
1: was when. It was the. It was the like new, new Year's ones. Eve 2008 going into 2009. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, the, it was the end of 2008 going into 2009. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so I remember, like, I would be one of the last people to practice. And so Charlotte sure, would just be waiting for me, to sitting, waiting. And, you know, I was learning the third series arm balances at the time. And so mm-hmm. I would sometimes ask him to show me how to do it, and he would demonstrate it for me. So that um, was pretty cool. Yeah. In, yeah. When I first learned uh, Moolabandhasana, he, he demonstrated that for me, which is pretty crazy. Like he was just cold and just went straight into it. <laughs> but, I mean, he's got those hips for that. Yeah. It's like.
0: Yeah, I once demonstrated Vrinsyasana to someone Um and I couldn't <laughs> walk for two weeks. Cold after that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a
0: good mula- one to do cold. <laughs> So, so Mulumbwa Yeah, certainly you're not uh, hardly warm. Um, right. So let's have a let's have a look. Um, so what, what were your experiences of Mysore in the early days? As opposed, to, let me, let's contextualise this. When, when you got there at that time, obviously you're in program, so there was a you know there was a big difference in terms of numbers. Um teaching mm-hmm. methodology has already swung to a less hands on more kind of circumspect way of teaching um and how did you see the shift so from more recently when you've you know i don't know when you went last went to mysore have you been
1: to the new place or I uh, haven't been to the new right. the new newshallah i mean, yeah the last practice yeah, was in yeah. yeah okay so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, had, I can't comment on how that is now, but there were, you know, there were there big be differences between Lakshmi Puram and, and Gokulam. Yeah, and the way
0: um, you feel the practice, do you feel the practice is the same or remain the same for you, or oh, has it, did it change in those years between your start and?
1: Uh, I mean, I was pretty new to the whole thing, right? So even yeah, when I yeah. got to Lakshmipuram, I was right at the tail end of that era and I was at the beginning of my own practice. So, I mean, I think when everything shifted to Gokulam, there was definitely a sense of excitement as well. Like people were pretty excited about it. And, you know, still in those days, even when it moved to Gokulam, you could still pretty much just turn up for still quite a few years, right? If you remember, like you'd, you'd write your letter It's like that was the system at Lakshmi Purim. Like you'd have to write your letter. You never got a response, but you'd just go and you'd turn up and then you would, you know, pay your money and you'd stay for however long you wanted. Um, And so even in Gokulam, it was still like that until probably, I'd say, when it became like maybe the last few years there was when it changed, 2015 or something, when this online booking thing had started. So there was like that. There was still not the explosion. Let's say, like when things moved to Gokulam, it was, there was hadn't been this global explosion of Ashtanga, particularly you know the Chinese market, the Koreans, yeah. and so on. And there was that first wave of Japanese students with Ken, Ken Harakuma. He he had brought you know the first lot of Japanese students, but in, yeah. you know the Chinese and Koreans hadn't come yet.
0: No, I remember at that Purple Valley, I think I said to Shrap, can I come to Mysore? And he said, oh, yeah, all right, just come, you know, you're gonna to have to start a bit later, but you know, there was just a verbal, yeah, like come.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like very relaxed time. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, so, and more recently, having done more of the training and the gymnastics style of stuff, how do you equate that to your Mysore practice and is it related? or has it made you think differently about your mice or kind of want to encourage a conversation around, you know, a lot of the more recent stuff you're doing in terms of the hand balancing, which is very Mm. exciting for a lot of people, you know.
1: I mean, man, I feel like I've gone down a rabbit hole in the last few years with with a lot of different things, you know. Like, um, you know, first of all, there was like me getting taken off the list a couple of times. Why, why were you taken off the list? I, I haven't really had uh, that conversation. That was, I guess I was, I know, there there was rumors, you know, Sharadi got wind that I had been, like, teaching different stuff. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in my workshops, I was starting to incorporate different things into my workshops, you know? Um, you know, like... Locomotion, you know, <laughs> these animal type movements, and you know well, all this kind of stuff, and handstands and backbend workshops and this kind of stuff. So that was like the first sort of, you know, like time that I realized, oh, you know, if I don't toe the party line, then you know I'm going to be out of the out of the system.
0: And it wasn't you. Um, see you went to him, did you, in the office, and and he put you back on?
1: Yeah. Well. First uh I wrote to Usha and then we cleared it all up. And then the second time uh we actually went to Mysore and we had a chat. And you know there it was it was good actually. It was always better to speak speaking yeah. person. You know, I just said to him, Look, this I, this is my passion. I love doing this stuff, you know? And he was cool with it. So he so changed think, his mind or yeah. Or you just yeah, yeah, right. hmm. yeah, he kind of understood where I was coming from, I guess. Right. Huh. Yeah. So that was that. And then also, you know, you had like 2000, end of 2017 with Karen Rain and then the whole, you know, Matthew yeah. Remsky thing. And then just, I mean, all that seems to have died down now, but that was a big thing for a couple of years there. And that was, um, you know, it made me question a lot. Um, even my teaching methodology, it's made, made me rethink a lot of the stuff that I was doing, uh, in terms of like, you know, like the teacher having all the authority and trying to realize, okay, no, maybe this is not the right way. We need to start, you know, giving some, the power back to the students, um, so then, you know, of course, that was challenging in the sense of because like a lead class, for example, basically, you're just you're telling the students exactly what to do, when to breathe, you know, when to move, where to step, how to do everything. As yeah. opposed to Mysore style practice where people are able to move in their own pace. Maybe they take a few extra breaths here and there or, you know, maybe they modify poses or skip a few poses or whatever. So that's kind of like in my teaching, I've been trying to just assess, you know, where I've, you know, how I feel about the whole system in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Is is Sharat still a teacher?
1: I probably, I mean, Dipika and I talk about going back to Mysore for sure. Um, I'd like to. I still enjoy the practice and it'd be cool to just go there and, you know, and see. How it, how it all feels. And Mysore, the town itself, is such a special place in India, you know. Like it's one of those last, you know, little gems in India almost. Like India is becoming so, um, yeah. you know, it's changing so rapidly, but Mysore seems to have been able to keep its charm. So we'll see. I don't know. Like with this COVID situation, who knows what's going to happen with the whole Mysore scenario and teaching and I think... <laughs> We just don't know, right? It's all a big guess. But, uh, yeah, so getting back to your, your question. So with the teaching, I'd say, like, the main thing I kind of i am leaning, I've been thinking this way for many years already, like more of this Krishnamacharya style of, you know, teaching the student individually. Yeah. Um, but within the group setting. So, you know, we call it Mysore style or call it self-practice. And I've had that happen. Like, I have one of my students is a like uh, she's a dancer, and she's you know got a great practice, but the strongest sequencing just doesn't work for her. So she will come to my workshops or intensives, and she just does her own practice, you know. And I'll just help her in some postures if she needs to needs that, you know. So that's kind of like I feel like a good direction for the future, um, but at the same time. That only works for someone who's got that awareness of how to practice like that. You know, the, the structure, of the, the beauty of the astanga sequencing is the structure and that yeah. kind of gives a container. So it's kind of like that's a good place to start and then people can start to adapt the practice to their own individual needs as they, you know, as they get more experience and as they get older. Where that line is, I don't know exactly. Still trying to figure that out. Are you still practicing the sequences
0: as they originally were put together?
1: Uh, myself, not not much. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, this morning, man, as like I woke up, I was starting to get a little you know groove on and then my daughter woke up so then it was time to play with her and then she has the you know we're trying to get her into a sleep cycle so like after about an hour it was like okay i can sense that she's going to get sleepy soon so i took her for a walk you know and so then i was walking with her for like 45 minutes she came back she fell asleep and then you know, then I was trying to get something done. I got a little bit of practicing a few handstands, and then it was dad duties again. So yeah, it's not really the time now for me to, like, it just doesn't, yeah, I could if I was really motivated to stick, to have that sequence and everything, but I kind of been there, done that, you know, so it's not like a major priority at the moment.
0: So, yeah, I was going to ask you about the fatherhood thing, and obviously you've become a recent father. I mean, is it different... Has it changed any anything in terms of your view of what you're doing in yoga or, you know, given you any context or perspective on it? Or has it just kind of made you have less time for training?
1: <laughs> um, definitely the, the time issue is there. Um, and then, yeah, like just – you you start you kind of weigh up like you look looking at this incredible like being with all this like fascination and joy or whatever and then kind of like do I want to just play with her or would I do I want to stick my leg behind my head you know it's (laughs) like the option is always like oh man I'd rather just be with be with her and sort of just not miss a moment
0: so what, what kind of amounts of training like in terms of time or how many hours were you doing a day before and how much do you do now? I'm sure people will be interested to know how much um, you to train to be able to do your your one-arms handstand.
1: I probably <laughs> before I was, I mean, even when I was doing full ashtanga, like my, yeah. when I, the last time I was in Mysore, that was a three-hour practice. And then you were doing training outside that as well? And then I was doing a bit of training outside that. And then... 2018 I started shifting okay starting to focus more on hand balancing and learning some other things so I was still maintaining my practice but not doing those super long practices anymore Um, so now you know before baby came probably let's say two hours in the morning and then maybe an hour in the afternoon something like that depending on whether I was teaching or not because the way I've been working for the last few years was I'd be, I'd say, I call myself semi-retired. So I'd do like month-long intensives, three or four of those a year. And then I wouldn't, pretty much wouldn't be working the rest of the year. Right. Except for a few workshops. That's right. Workshops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I right, yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> when those intensives are on, it's pretty hard to do anything else except teach yeah right yeah i mean i'd get up early and do a practice i'd do the you know the 4 a.m five o'clock wake, uh, 4 a.m wake up and practice but um and you would still be doing ashtanga sequences then yeah 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 when i'm when i'm teaching the those intensives i feel like it's good to keep the ashtanga sequencing up to stay connected to it what started you on the
0: path away from the traditional sequences
1: um, I think. I mean, I'd always had like on my radar was always like this uh, attraction to things like capoeira, you know, acrobatics and that kind of stuff. Um, I've always I've been surfing and and doing the practice going uh, alongside each other for many years, but I'd never really tried all these other things. And then I think I just got to a point um, when I I was, I guess. Forty, what was I? I just turned forty or whatever, and then I was, and I got introduced to Edo Portal, and you know, and then it just kind of like, oh, if I want to have a go at this other stuff, like now's the time because you know I'm forty, getting on a little bit, so you know this next decade could be my only shot at kind of learning some of these other movements. You know, I'm not saying you can't do it in your fifties, but I think. If yeah. We, would have, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I would Definitely. say you're probably right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you mind, stuff, yeah, but yeah, you're gonna
0: yeah. to be tough, aren't you? It seems yeah. to a, <laughs> what I'm just kind of interested in. And I heard you say a few times is that, and I had it as well is this diving into the asana and kind of, I want to say, lumping in with the rest of. Philosophical interest that we have in spirituality, and and I know your background in meditation as well, right? And and kind of somehow lumping that in with the asana. And at a certain point, you know, and I think it sounds like from what you've written, you have the same kind of feeling that the asana was somehow a magic sequence of moves, right? And at a certain point, do you feel that you've changed your relationship to that magic sequence, and now maybe you've got meditation and you've got movement, and you don't have to necessarily put them together so much, or? It, you
1: know. no, yeah, no that that's kind of exactly how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, yeah, like that. The us in the sequence and everything was part of that whole spiritual path, but now it's like I feel I've been waiting to use this line. <laughs> See my my mom, right? She's a, she's a Catholic, and uh, you know she's very much uh, very devoted to God and to Jesus and so on. But she has a, you know, like a little bit problematic relationship with the institution of the church. Okay, she doesn't necessarily believe in everything that the institution says. So one of her mentors once said to her, look, the role, the job of religion is to lead you to God. Once you've found God, you don't need the religion anymore. And so you can use that. In the same respect to like the asana practice or the ashtanga method, the methodology for me, it's like okay, that it had that purpose of leading me to I don't want to say God, but toward to my center, to my true north, or to myself, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now I feel like I found that it's like I don't need that anymore. Does that make sense?
0: Could you have just done it through just the Edo port out? I mean, I went the same route and probably at similar time to you. Kind of looking more at Edo and then Uval and you know. And but yeah. could you have that? Would you have done that if you'd gone straight to to that? Do you know what I mean? Like I don't think you produced the same. I don't think so, no. Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't think so because the thing about yoga and is that and like Ashtanga is that it's part of a tradition It has all these, you know, the Yamas and Yamas, it has the Sutras, it has the Bhagavad Gita, it has all the philosophical context, which you're learning all the way, right? You know, so even though you're diving into this physical practice, you're always, if you're reading and you have good teachers and so on, they're always pointing you towards this idea of, self-transcendence or liberation or whatever you want to call it um whereas you know within the movement culture there are definitely you know lessons to be learned there but i don't it's not within that framework of this you know this ancient tradition Mm -hmm. so yeah you could maybe you would find it that way i'm not sure but that being said, then it's always the reality check. Always, isn't it? It's like sometimes some of the the nicest, sweetest, most humble yogic people that I meet yeah. have never done a yoga class in their well, life. Well, uh, you know,
0: have you listened to the the uh, Yuval podcast that we did? Right? Oh, I mean, you Yuval,
1: know, exactly. He's a, he's a yogi all the yeah, and through.
0: Man. I tried. To, he wouldn't admit he was, but you know, he really, yeah. you know, he does kind of have that kind of feeling without kind of making. I don't. Sometimes I kind of feel that the two, the asana and the philosophy, have kind of been lumped together, you know. And I mean, totally, do, do,
1: and that becomes they, problematic.
0: Yeah. Do they awesome. inherently have any relation? I mean, can do? You, I mean, you're still doing a meditation, and and you know, and
1: yeah, this, right? Yeah. So the meditation's still there. The the pranayama's still there. Um, and that for me is that's what really gets me centered. You know. The is Asana it, still is there. Your, asana your hand
0: balancing any more or less related to the meditation side? Do you know what I mean. Like, is one more? Do you find one more? Co- you know, kind of coercive or cohesive with the other? You know,
1: um, I think the handstand is a little bit. It is there. It's, I mean, you have to really be present.
0: Yeah, that's you what have you have to really
1: thing. have to be so concentrated. To balance in you know so that element is there and you know recently even today i was actually in when i was doing one of my longer holds i was trying to bring in some like breath counting so i was breathing in for four out for six and just maintaining that so i mean you know actually just the thought just arose like in the fifth series uh of ashtanga one arm handstand is one of the postures yeah, yeah. Right? You've, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw Sharap posted that on Instagram. I did. Yes, <laughs> he took right. it down. But Just don't yeah. do it all. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but so there it is. Yeah, funnily yeah. enough, a lot of, you know, the, the fifth series has a lot of what is considered hand balancing. Like uh, it has Pungu Mayurasana, the one um, uh, Mayurasana, and then it has also the seven position. I think, you just, key, I think you I think you
0: because you're doing it on like a, on a kind of concrete table there, right? Oh. So you're on, you're on a table balancing on a high table made of yeah. looks like concrete, and you're trying to do this arm balance. I mean, you know that's that's gonna yeah, you're definitely gonna want to be
1: concentrated for that. Hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah, man. So it's it's all there, yeah. but listening to I was listening to Leslie coming off. Uh, podcast yesterday but, and he mentioned that Krishna krishnamacharya or maybe desikachar was saying you know unless you're able to control your breathing uh then it's not yoga it's exercise he was not saying that's good or bad but he was just saying that's the difference right um so then if that's if we take that as the definition then you know like we can't just say oh yeah the this person is a yogi just because they're a nice person because they might be doing crossfit they might be doing crossfit and be a nice person and we could say they're a yogi but the exercise that they're doing might not come into the category of yogic you know practice
0: so is i mean is (laughs) that
1: that your (laughs) your
0: your feeling of being a yogi it would i mean without putting words into your mouth is it surrounded a kind of world i mean obviously we have the idea of the practically speaking, well adjusted, nice person, reasonable human being in the world. And then the kind of aims of yoga as contextualized in the Gita or the sutras, which are kind of transcendental, right? You know. Yeah. What
1: what are your feelings on that? Um yeah, I'd say, I mean, I don't even I wouldn't call myself a yogi if you're thinking from a technical uh point of view, because like the yogis are doing very extreme practices, you know, like uh Oh, those Hatha yoga practices like Vajroli and all this kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then Krishna, I think Krishna on his 100th birthday, didn't he uh, stop his heart or something like that, wasn't it? Did you, did you hear that? Did you read that?
1: I don't know that story, but yeah, like, I mean, I'm I'm nowhere near in that league. <laughs> Not doing that yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't know, man. That's, that whole debate about what is and what's not a yogi, it's a difficult one. I like what David Williams said in your uh, in the podcast you had with him. Was it with, no, oh, no, it was not he with you. it was with another I tried, podcast.
0: I tried, I tried to get him, and he, Nathan got him in the end. Um,
1: Nathan, that's right, it was Nathan's one. Yeah, yeah, so I, he said, what did he say, like, you know, like Shiva doesn't judge, Shiva's the only one who knows whether someone's a yogi or not, so... Therefore, I don't judge anybody, and hopefully, nobody's judging me. I thought that was a good, cool way to put it.
0: He's always got some great one liners. Um, yeah. I was really sad. <laughs> he wanted to uh, get me to buy his book. He's done this book called Yoga Detective. So, as his main. Oh, really? Book. Yeah, you should get it. Yeah. It's quite expensive and it's very heavy as well. It's a big, big oh, that's book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's his book. Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it cost me like a hundred bucks to ship it over or something each each one so oh my God. i demurred on that front you know um well so what do you yeah. think are you still interested in yoga as a transcendental i mean i think you know i and i think from the sound of you from your early years you you had this kind of and talking about being young and being scared of death right Like kind of, uh, that struck me in your last podcast you did you know and I had the same feeling and that that feel what is it then after this you know well, after this life yeah, you know yeah. like such a short period of time you know I mean do you still have that that interest or that yearning towards something outside the body you know because what you're doing now seems at least on face value so embodied
1: you know yeah yeah man I, th- I mean that uh that spiritual longing, if you want to call it that, that, I mean, sparked by that fear of death that I had since I was like three or four years old. Um, and then just, you know, just questioning why we're here, what's our purpose. That was very strong within me, you know, all through my teens, 20s and 30s. But now it's not, It's I guess it's just subsided for a while. And, um, you know, especially with the birth of my daughter, it's, like, interesting just to watch, like, what's going on in terms of uh, my perception now. It's, like, maybe that was the purpose of my life, you know, was to procreate, to bring another being into this world. Um, But then, I I mean, I still have the same thoughts about her as well. I think, gosh, even soon she's going to have that realisation Mm. And then she's going to have to go through the whole of life, you mm. know, dealing with that the unknown of death and the fear of death. Um, so, I mean, for now, all that kind of stuff, I guess, is on hold. Mm. It's coming to more of the practicalities of being a householder. Interesting, you know, because I always, like, I'd go to Mysore and I'd hear all these teachings, you know, these Indian teachings about the four stages of life of being the brahmachari student and being the householder and then being the renunciant for the last two stages or whatever it is. And then I always think, oh, shit, I've got it back to front. Like, I I kind of felt like I'd already wanted to renounce the world and just wanted to be, you know, travelling and be free of all material possessions and all that kind of stuff and not be a householder at all. And then, you know, now I'm a householder. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting.
0: Why has why you changed? What changed your opinions, you know?
1: Uh, well, I mean having a baby was the big thing. <laughs> so I mean, what made you decide you wanted to go into the
0: world after yeah. feeling like in your young, you know, younger years, I think you sold all your yeah. possessions, you said, and 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 moved from Sydney and just, you know, gave up the possibility of yeah, opening that studio or or you know running that studio yeah. there, right? And decided just to go on the road. What what, think, what what changed in your mentality to facilitate that that switch of
1: mindset? Okay? I think at a certain point towards my late 30s i realized um that you know because and i had been in a relationship for a while but it was kind of on and off and then i think both of us at least realized you know in order to grow we really needed to commit and that was like that was where the growth was whereas before like in my 20s and 30s the growth was to be out and traveling and to have lots of experiences but then I'd been doing that for a while and I felt like, you know, it was becoming a bit dull, you know, the, the, the sheen had worn off. So then it was like, okay, now actually the growth is in being committed in a relationship. And then, of course, that just led towards, okay, well, if we're going to be in a relationship, we need a house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to live somewhere. So then we bought the house and then at the same, then she got pregnant and then suddenly we've got the house and the kid. Now we just need the dog. <laughs> Which is I'm, going to come. We're going to get back to Bali. Bu- yeah, yeah. yeah, we Let's get a little puppy once we get back to Bali. And so it's well, been interesting well, and it's been, you know, as they say, relationships is where the, the real growth happens.
0: I think I remember you posting on Facebook a kind of controversial post. Well, we've done a few controversial posts, I think, right? But <laughs> yeah. one of them was like, was it people kind of, because you were early on, you know, the social media front for the, you know, the visuals of yoga, right? Fairly early on, right? And, uh, you know, yeah. I guess, you, got, like, you know, I didn't enter into that sphere because there was prejudice, right? Like people, you know, back in the time we were in Mysore, right? Like people you know, it wasn't like a cool thing to do to put yourself out there doing an asshole. Right? That really, we like, well, that didn't fly with our peers, right? And there was a lot of sens- um, sen- um, censoriousness around this, you know, yeah. even... even even having a website advertising yourself as a yoga teacher kind of wasn't a cool thing to do right like you know you can maybe use a page or you know an email address or something on the page right um so you got you know you got a lot of shit you know for putting yourself out there like that right in the yoga postures and you know and i remember you writing this post saying well you know like why shouldn't i have you know be able to make a living have a family you know you know have a house you know you know having devoted myself and all my life to training in yoga right I mean, yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, yeah, that's right. I mean, basically, in my thirties, I had no money. Right, I was just traveling and doing, you know, teaching here and there, covering other people's Mysore programs. Basically, I would just have enough money to save up to go back to Mysore or to go to Bali to go surf or whatever. Um, yeah, so it was around two thousand and thirteen or something. 2012, 2013, I was like, you know, I really should start trying to make some money. And that's when I started doing the workshops, travelling and teaching work weekend workshops. Um, but then, you know, what I realised was unless you have some exposure, unless people know who you are, uh, it's difficult to get people to turn up to these workshops. I mean, if you've, if you have a good host, that can help a lot if you know if the person hosting you is able to really market it for you and that's that's fantastic but you know like then with social media it's just like okay here's an opportunity to kind of you know put yourself out there and it was it was a combination of that and also just I kind of I like writing you know so it was it was a way to to self-publish in a sense and instead of needing a publisher, I could just like just whatever thoughts or whatever I could just share with people, and it's been a really great medium for that. Morning, and unfo- got- unfortunately, yes. people don't read the posts unless the image grabs their attention.
0: Oh, oh, oftentimes I think even you could put like a contradictory. You could put an image like, and the actual yeah. text is kind of contradicting the image, you know, like
1: yeah, right. But as long as you get their attention,
0: yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Yeah. me doing a backbend grabbing my ankles and then a post about how maybe that's not such a sensible thing to do all the time but it doesn't matter if it's you know
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: <laughs> so, so basically Deepika told told you you better make some money or you know
1: shh I know how you yeah. said it not me you said it not me
0: I know I know um, so do, how do you square that with being I mean with making money in yoga teaching, I mean, is there any discrepancy in your mind? Because a lot of people still have the old-fashioned idea that yoga isn't a business. You know, we shouldn't be making money out of
1: this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, don't want to be greedy, but I think definitely you can, you should make money if you've got you've got something to share and it has a value, and enough people like it. There's nothing wrong with making some money off of it.
0: And what do you teach in the workshops apart from just? asana are you are you trying to convey i mean you've done a lot of spiritual study which i didn't realize having read your bio recently what are you trying to teach any of that within the asana or you know
1: or is it just Um, the technical asana stuff yeah so i'm not one of those teachers who's able to weave in you know little philosophical things like i'm like richard freeman for example yeah i can't like weave in the philosophy whilst the class is going on so If I'm teaching uh, asana workshops, I tend to keep it, you know, more, I guess, biomechanical. But then I would have a separate section where I would teach philosophy and that kind of stuff, or meditation, or pranayama, or whatever. So just kind of, I'd keep them separate. Mm, mm. Um, But then, you know, the with this whole uh, what's the with after the whole Me Too thing this. Shabha scan scan and everything, what it made me realize is that also like this idea of scope of practice and this, because my idea had been, okay, a, the yoga teacher myself has to know everything, right? Has to know anatomy, has to know Bhagavad Gita, yoga sutras, the Upanishads, you know, has to know the series, has to know all the vinyasa and everything, has to know all the adjustments, um, but then with this, what's, with all the gurus falling, then I realized, and then this idea of scope practice, it's made me realize, actually, that's probably the reason why we've had so much trouble is because people have had this expectation that the yoga teacher is all-knowing and put them up on the pedestal. So what I did on my last uh, intensive was I brought in a philosophy teacher, Seth Powell from Yogic Studies, and you know, like he's an expert in in his field. And that worked really well, you know, to have have that some a specialist talking about the subject. So probably in the future I'll continue to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think now also the opportunities are great with the online uh, classes that you can you could do that. You could have different teachers, you could do like a, a kind of a conference and have a philosophy teacher have, an anatomy teacher, you do that kind of thing, you know. A little bit tricky with the Mysore style classes, but the other style of classes is, is you can do it.
0: Yeah. And and coming back to that point on the Mysore class, you're still teaching the traditional seekers in that class, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're still up for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the great thing about the Maisel style is that uh, there's no talking, more or less, and people are doing their practice you know, and everybody's working at their own pace. And you, know, you know, add, I, I really, really love them. And it has that kind of meditative yeah. feel. You know, it's definitely, it's a special feeling. Yeah,
0: so, you, so um, you're leaving it pure. You're not, add, you're not adding extra movements. I mean, I, it seems to me that when you, I was gonna ask it earlier on, that when you started the, tra- the extra training and that my experience as well is that actually that was kind of necessary to have more accomplishment in the asana, and you know, again, another kind mm. of myth of mysore, right? It was like, don't do any training outside asana practice, right? Like, yeah, it yeah. kind of gifted in the early days, it was like David Swenson going twice a day to the shala to be, you know, hammered by Batabi Joyce, and then latterly, like, well, you should only heat the body once a day, you should only practice once a day, don't do any yeah. asana. Asana is enough, you know. You don't need any other movements out. And then you, you know, suddenly it's like you've been doing like a few jump throughs, and you're called to like be able to lift yourself into a handstand you know like well, where did that come from right like where, you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah. where did I get enough strength to, to do that you know like uh, my experience and I think yours is that those extra movements outside helped in the asana is, is that correct and and therefore wouldn't you teach them along with your new Mysore style teaching
1: absolutely but so what I do is I um, teach all that stuff in the afternoon workshops right you know so then people start to integrate it into their practice, into their Mysore style practice, if so they want to, you know, what not every um, sequence so so, needs
0: to be adjusted or is lacking that you might add in extra stuff.
1: Yeah. So like I have different workshops I'll do, like I'll have a backbending kind of sequence, that, the way that I approach backbending. Um, so that would be like one afternoon workshop. Also, all the arm balances, jump back, jump back, jump through, you know, just understanding the, the core essential patterns of that. Um, and then, you know, last year was my big project was incorporating the functional range conditioning uh, approach into the practice. And that was like really a big game changer for a lot of people, particularly all the joint mobility work. So just like really understanding how to isolate each joint of the body and being able to move each joint through an active range of motion and then taking that approach back into the asana practice. So that's kind of, you know, the way that I feel in my own practice and I'm leaning more towards that in the way that I teach also is that instead of having like a fixed idea of downward dog, for example, that the scapula have to be depressed and protracted instead why not teach the person how to move the scapula in all directions yeah and absolutely. then they, then they have options yeah. you know one day one day they might want to elevate them to the ears you know one day then and rotational movements also is you know that's kind of like nature's way of anti-inflammatory is so good for the joints on hey, all
0: just to play devil's advocate, yeah.
1: there's
0: something yeah. in tradition. There's something in tradition, you know, like in I I think ultimate knowledge is there to liberate the individual. There's no such knowledge out there, it's rather what it can do for you, right? Like to inspire an yeah. attitude in yourself, right? But on the other hand, having some certain knowledge out there, like you know, in the early days when we found the practice, it was great, wasn't it? It's was like this is how you do it, it's done, you know, there's no two yeah. ways about it. And it kept yeah. me in it. It kept me, if someone had said, well, you could do like this or you could move your shoulders like that, I've, you know, I don't think it would have held me. But this this kind of very dogmatic idea of tradition in inverted commas, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. isn't there something still in that for the early student, you know, the early student who needs to be um, kind of, you know, have that grounding, you know, in their spiritual yeah, life. Yeah,
1: yeah, right? I mean, there's a, there's a balance, I suppose. One of the One of the dilemmas or problems I've had, uh, recently was that some, you know, people see my posts on Instagram or whatever and think, oh, okay, this guy's, you know, really open. You can he's just, he's experimenting with all this stuff. So he must be really cool to go practice with him. So then they come to the practice, they come to my workshop or my Mysore class, and then they're just doing random things, you know, and but not in a not in like a way that's like in flowing with the rest of the group like that dance I was telling you about like the way she does it it's very like you know it it fits like no one even notices that she's doing her own thing whereas you get some people coming in and then just doing absolutely random things and it just really is kind of disruptive energy because it's not focused and then also it's come it's a bit like that thing that like Matthew was saying was like then it's like I feel like I can't even teach them because They've just got their own idea of what they want to do. They don't want to listen to anything. They don't even want to learn something. They don't even know why they've come, actually. So in that sense, what you're saying about yeah, having that traditional, like this is the vinyasa, this is how many counts, this is the drishti, yeah, for sure it's great and it definitely creates like a good framework. but. And also, like, the, like Joey was saying in his podcast, he's like, "But you don't want to get stuck there." It's like with the music thing, right? It, I like that analogy. It's like once you start, once you feel the music, then you you don't need that anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. As much as I'm very reluctant to be the teacher, and I think you found the same thing that it's just you know it's this huge stress and it creates expectations. Then you have to play a certain role, which you know because of people's expectations, right? On the other hand, some sense of role-playing right Mm. there's a teacher there's authority you have discipline you have an open inspires an open-mindedness this i mean what's i suppose i'm circling around the question of what does tradition or traditional yoga practice mean to you now as opposed to what you're doing on the arm balances which Mm. wouldn't be called traditional
1: yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. well i mean that's what i'm so curious about even the tradition you know that's like Mm. all this that the the Hatha Yoga Project. That's where I just did that course on the Hatha Vyasaparati. Yeah. Even like uh, these, you know, in the I guess Shivananda tradition, they have or Bihar school, they have the Pawan Muktasana sequence, which is basically the joint mobility, you, you must have seen it. They go through each part of the body, moving the neck circles, shoulder circles, all this stuff. You know, when I first started, I used to think, oh, that's like pretty funny. Like you see people in the parks in India doing this kind of stuff. But actually this is part of like that would be part of traditional Hatha yoga, I guess. But I don't know where, where it came from originally. Were they doing that for thousands of years or is this in the last century is how do we call it what's tradition, you know? Um and then if you look at the Hatha Bhyasapaditi, uh that's like a very dynamic sequence, right? And in that there's a lot of moving asana sequences, like stuff that looks like modern day vinyasa flow or like even animal flow, there's like all these kind of movements, a bit like the um, you know, in the in the, the dungs that the Hindu wrestlers do. This kind of thing. So it, it's like I don't know man, like what is what is tradition? <laughs> because we as <laughs> stungies we tend to think that we have the, the tradition. Well, but there's if, does the that mean that anyone that's <laughs> not practicing a is not traditional? I think isn't it um isn't tradition
0: devoting to something greater than yourself in terms of you know in a, in a very to give a very general answer to it, isn't the the Ability to step outside yourself and with an open mind that you don't know, isn't that something to do with tradition?
1: Okay, so in that sense, yeah, I'm very traditional.
0: Right. (laughs) In In which case, at that point, you need kind of, first of all, you need like a definite tradition to do that to, you know, to devote to, you know, in kind of, otherwise it's too general, you know, it's just too general, like devote to what, you know, like first of all, you have to have humility, but once you have that, then it's like you've learned that trick. Now maybe you can, you know, you can freestyle a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, that's a true for everything, isn't it? Like first you learn all the rules, and then once you've learned them, you can break the rules. Same with music. Yeah. And a more practical level, what would
0: you recommend or what did you do to build up the strength that you need to do the arm balances that you might not have got through just doing the asana?
1: I mean, the thing is that the arm balances—you do build up a lot of strength in this longer sequence, especially if you end up going into second, third series with all those arm balances. Um, but there's no—I guess you just learn just by doing it. I guess. I mean, there, there definitely there were some teachers who gave me little tips here and there, but there right. was no. You want going back like
0: going doing like a thousand.
1: No, I mean, it was not really until I actually, I think 2014 was the first time that I came across the idea of the hollow body position from gymnastics. Right. And then once I learned that, then it was like, oh, okay, that changes a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. When you start, like, applying that principle to a lot of the practice.
0: You were um, never taught that in my soul? No.
1: No. Well,
0: well, that's the – but it is, I mean, there's, like – keeping the scapula apart you know protracting yeah, your...
1: ribs in posterior pelvic tilt all that kind of I stuff I mean
0: it always kind of it confuses me why that's not taught you know in my or at all say by Sharat or Guruji where when you know they were doing that stuff
1: yeah I don't know man that's uh, yeah but that's not that technical stuff has never really been there yeah I mean if you listen to David Williams he's really adamant that he was just taught just mula Bandha, breath and that was it you just focus on your breathing and mula Bandha, and that was the practice
0: but you wouldn't agree with that because you're quite technical in the workshops
1: and stuff right you you know yeah i mean i mean that's a different different uh, goal you know like if you want to go into just like a meditative state yeah. yeah that's fantastic but if you're doing complex movements and you know potentially dangerous asanas, then I think you need some technique, <laughs> otherwise, you're gonna get you're gonna have problems, you're gonna have injuries for sure. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, to be honest, I, I wanted to mention this. I think that was one of the things that uh, early on, right? I noticed uh, when I was looking at the older generation, I was just thinking that. There was a lack of, uh, I didn't see a lot of robustness and vitality in their physicality, Mm. you know, like, you know, I come from Australia, right, so the surfers, like, down at Bondi Beach in their 60s look more robust than some of the, you know, those older generation guys, you know. Okay, yeah, sure, they could still do some great postures, but you wouldn't want them to have to run down the street, (laughs) And so that always is in the back of my mind, you know, in terms of like the asana practice, what's the long-term effect of doing such an intense practice, third it. series, fourth mm-hmm. series. And I remember once in Mysore, I think it was in 2015, I was just walking around Gokul and then my knee kind of buckled on me as I was walking. And I was just like, oh, that's oh. not good. <laughs> So I was just like, okay, if, I'm, if I want to be able to maintain some vitality and robustness into my 50s, 60s, 70s, then I don't think that doing third and fourth series is going to be the way to do that. You know, I think for that you need to start doing some other movements. You know, for me, doing some, lifting some weights, doing getting to the gym and doing some squats, stuff like that has been much more beneficial for my hips and stability, you know? Yeah. And now now just getting out and walking, hiking, that kind of stuff. I also
0: felt, yeah, the, 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 the knee stuff later on, it does raise some serious questions in the mind. Yeah, man. yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, I mean, <laughs> outside committing to an asana practice as a definition of, of you trying to do something in life which is different to just, you know, unreflective life let's say well you know if you abandon that and say well you're doing your own thing now you know whatever that is what is a yoga lifestyle to you what are the principles that still frame your lifestyle are they the same or have they changed
1: I think uh, the yamas and yamas being you know you're in, still
0: kind of you're still living by them or trying to live by them right
1: yeah and just trying to be meditative <laughs> contemplative mindful using the breath awareness throughout the day, trying to maintain that reflection, you know, when I'm walking, trying to maintain that, you know, presence. Um, and then also the self-inquiry. I mean, I, I guess that's the main thing, isn't it? It's like, what are those patterns in me that stop me from being, you know, a good person?
0: So is that uh, the aim?
1: Yeah, pretty much. So,
0: the aim is practical Mm. based, life based, to be a good person in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. For me, that's Mm. the the main thing is like, I know what my main issues are like, would be anger and control (laughs) issues. And, you know, so I I just have to watch those patterns. Yeah. You know, try and try my best to try to reduce the effect. (laughs) <laughs> that they uh, they have on me and you know yeah. on my wife and my daughter, and I think that's been the big the big one. Having a daughter, it's like suddenly realizing, okay, whatever patterns that we have, they're going to be played out in front of her. So what what do we want to share? How do we want to bring her up? So I think, and that's the power of the yoga practice, right? Is that it gives you that ability to be have that self awareness and the ability to make those changes. Yeah, yeah. It's always, I mean, I can't remember, there's, there's that uh, book, Lance Armstrong, it's not about the bike. I think Jerry Lopez, the surfer, wrote yeah. something similar, like it's not. it was never about the wave, or it's not, you know. And so it's the same when it comes to ashtanga and It's like it was never about the asana, it was about the lessons learned from that practice.
0: I liked Joe Simpson's touching the void. I think, yeah, as you know, oh, yeah. a yeah. of, an absolutely pointless thing to do that in its, yeah, absolute, yeah, yeah. In its absolutely pointlessness was, yeah. you know, mysteriously profound, right? That's like act for the sake of action, you
1: know. That's the one where he, the Mount Everest, is it? Yeah, is that well, that one? Yeah, well, yeah,
0: I don't know whether it was Everest, but he climbed some big mountain anyway. Yeah, and I think yeah. it was K2, and he, he fell down a crevice. Um, and he was kind of suspended on a rope in in the dark, and, there, and he didn't know whether the other guy was slipping as well, um, or yeah, or whether he was even uh, attached to the other guy anymore. The other guy, I think, died, actually. Someone mm-hmm. will correct me on that yeah. later on. Um, just to sequester to a lighter front, just to wrap this up. Have you got? Have you got any tips? A while back, I know you knew Sayuri si- from Purple Valley, and you were you vegan and raw, or I mean, what are you doing diet wise these days? I don't. Know, I don't think doesn't look like you're eating like blades of grass anymore. You look quite chunky.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I have. I'm am eating some meat now.
0: Oh yeah, you? Right, right.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll probably lose a lot of followers now when people hear about <laughs> <Okay>. that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or gain some. <laughs> you
1: yeah. know,
0: you could only please some of the people some of the time, you
1: know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I um, mean,
0: you felt uh, that you
1: needed Yeah, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, there was just one health issue I was having, and I felt like that was something that I needed. Right. Um, and then just in terms of, I mean, this is a whole nother big story yeah. in terms of like evolutionary biology, like looking into that, like how did we evolve as humans? Um, I mean, I'm sure some people would debate what I'm saying, but, you know, it seems to me that the reason why our, human, our brains developed was the fact that we were hunting um, and that's how the, the homo, homo species evolved um, so I'm not sure that the vegan diet is for everybody, but you were um, at one point doing pursuing I, like I get it from the ethical point of view, yeah. I understand for sure, but from a health point of view, I'm not so certain.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, <laughs> I, you're, you're vegan, vegan, right? No, no, I'm not anymore. No, no. um, no. I
1: was. Were you vegan? I was, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm. <laughs> To be quite honest, I eat a bit of fish now and again, but I don't. I don't. I'm not eating the meat. I, I my feeling is that if I can kill it, then I'll eat it. But I'm not sure I can yeah. kill. Like I'm not sure I can kill a cow. So that just seems to me dishonest. And you know, I'm kind of just about honesty, really. Like you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I get it. Yeah, yeah.
1: for sure. Yeah. Now, now you're going to lose some followers too. Oh, yeah, I'm right? no, sure, yeah. I, mean,
0: I can kill a small fish. If people are going to judge me for that, then, you know, so be it, right? Yeah. <laughs> kill a sardine, then, then uh, you know, I'll unfollow you. Um, <laughs> and, and, and just still trying to end on a, on a light note. Oh, where? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I struggle with that. Um, what do you What do you do for fun? what's your inspiration like give me a quick just a quick off-the-cuff answer what what i'm a part of, what do you do for fun what inspires you and, and you know kind of favorite place yeah
1: okay so uh, you've changed the uh guilty pleasure question
0: yeah right <laughs> well, oh no one had a guilty pleasure right like you know, everyone was kind of trying to step around <laughs> I'd, that i don't
1: i already i thought about what i was going you to, say it, to You have guys. it you have it what is it then I was going to say my guilty pleasures. I actually enjoy watching like uh, chick flicks on Netflix, like Gossip Girl, Friends, <laughs> <laughs> this kind of stuff. So another <laughs> the recent one, Emily in Paris. Oh, that's great. That's
0: that, you know that's really good, isn't it? I, I have <laughs> to say I, you know, I'm not guilty at all. I, you know, I think that's <laughs> it's a great show.
1: <laughs> yeah. we're,
0: we're in France right
1: now, so it has a, You know, like, you know yeah, he's like... So, I mean, for fun, the most fun I have probably is surfing. Right. Um, And then what was the other one? Uh,
0: Well, you know, kind of like an inspiration. Like, well, who do you look to as a teacher right now? You know, who inspires you as a teacher who you would really look up to and love to
1: study with? I think I like, I mean, for me, the people that inspire me are people who have found their true passion, their calling in life, and are living that. So I love listening to people who, you know, in, in any subject, if they're really passionate about it. Um, but personally, right now, I'm enjoying reading books on or listening to people talking about, you know, neuroscience and this kind of mixing of uh, like the latest in science with what's going on with, with yoga, trying to find that connection uh, between, you know, the ancient traditions and modern western science um yeah and just trying to i'm interested in all things movement pretty much
0: right so at one point you you would have said like i would have said you had one teacher right and now yeah. you feel like you're getting from different places you don't have that feeling of looking to one person
1: yeah not not so much no Mm-mm. i mean I've, i still have yeah actually I, I was going to say i still have my mentors and so on but not so much now i mean of course they're there they've always they've played a huge role in who i am but you know at the moment i don't i'm not really i don't have that one teacher that i'm looking towards or to to find anything yeah yeah
0: all right well we could go yeah. on but i'm gonna leave it there today yeah. um, it would be a bit so much on. It. Yeah. So much coming on all right thanks adam great, great to have you